whole lives. And so today, we reach the fourth week, which is love all. And this really gets to the heart of the Christmas story, doesn't it? Why did Christmas even happen? What was the motivation? Why did God send this baby in the first place? Well, the answer is found in the most famous verse in the New Testament, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's love is the motivation for Christmas. If Christmas is about anything, it's about God's love. Now, I think we all know that love is a theme throughout all of art and literature. Uh, the Beatles told us, all you need is love. Uh, Elvis Presley said, love me tender, love me sweet. Uh, Pat Benatar said, love is a battlefield, whatever that means. Tina Turner said, what's love got to do with it? Gavin McGraw says, I'm in love with a girl. Uh, Carrie Underwood says, love wins. Lanko writes about the greatest love story, and the Eli Young Band tells us what love ain't. There seems to be no end to humanity's exploration of what is love. Yet true love is one of the most misunderstood concepts among people. What does it mean? Uh, is it an emotion? Is it a feeling? Is it an action? Is it a decision? What is love? Uh, in the Bible, there's four different words for that one English word, love. First, there's the word storge, which is a family love, like a parent has for their child. Second, there's eros love, which is romantic love between a boyfriend and a girlfriend. Uh, there's the Greek word phileo, which is a brotherly love or a friendship kind of love. But then there's this fourth word for love in the New Testament that's the Greek word agape. That's not easy like the rest of those three loves. The fourth kind of love, agape love, is purposeful, uh, it's intentional, and it is self-sacrificial. That's the word for love used here in John 3.16. God so loved the world. Now, I know you probably know that verse. I know you probably uh, sang the song growing up, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But at Christmas, I want that to move from your head to your heart. Christmas is about God's love, and I want that to go deep down into your being. I want you to know that Jesus came to this earth and faced a human life of difficulty, suffering, grief, sadness, rejection, even death on a cross because of his love, not just for the world in general, but for you. Amen. I want to, do, to do that today, I want to talk about three things, three loves, if you will. First, the love of Santa. Second, the love of self. And then third, the love of the Savior. Uh, maybe you're here today and you used to believe in God's love, but you've kind of wandered away, if you're honest, for whatever reason. Maybe you've had your doubts. Maybe you've had a bad church experience. Maybe the person who told you about God's love turned out to be not so loving themselves. Or maybe you've done something in your life and you think, I'm too far gone for God's love. Here's what I want to encourage you to do this morning. Would you consider re-engaging with this story of God's love with us today? Something deep inside of you still wants to know. There is something inside of you. There's this spark that is still intrigued by God's love. It's like a voice. And today, I want to encourage you to listen to that voice. Could it be that that voice is the voice of God calling you back to his love? That's what I want you to consider in the message today. Uh, before we do that, let's pray together. God, as we bow our heads and close our eyes this morning, we do so with reverence for you, for you and for your word. And so would you, Holy Spirit, in the great work of illumination, open up our ears, eyes, and most of all, our hearts, so that we might take in this story in a fresh way. Help us to experience and come to know and come to believe 
that you really are a God of love. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a few days before Christmas, and I bet if you watch TV at all, you have stumbled across uh, most of the classic Christmas movies that have been uh, you know, scheduled and uh, viewed throughout the month of December. So I'm just wondering which of these movies you enjoy. How many of you out here really enjoy Frosty the Snowman? You like that movie? That's a pretty good one. All right, just a few. Uh, not a whole lot of Frosty fans in this service. How about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Any Rudolph fans out there? Let me see those hands. Yeah, you can't go wrong with Rudolph, right? How about Elf? It's becoming a modern Christmas classic, isn't it? I'm Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? That, that, that is a great movie, right? How about Home Alone? Anybody grow up in the 80s? and you're, Yeah, Home Alone, right. A lot of Home Alone fans here. How many of you would say uh, Christmas with the Cranks? What? That's not a Christmas classic. What is that? Okay, get that out of there. How about this one? It's a Wonderful Life. Who doesn't like It's a Wonderful Life, right? Great film. That's a real showstopper. Uh, but my all-time favorite Christmas film is the Charlie Brown Christmas special. It always gets me in the Christmas spirit. Who's with me on that? Charlie Brown Christmas special? Yeah. Charlie Brown Christmas has aired on national primetime television every single December in America for over 50 years. Now, in a world where the latest and greatest technology is out of date within like eight months and social media trends are out of date within like eight hours, anything that happens for over 50 plus years is meaningful. This is an American treasure. I did a little research on this show, and here's some trivia for you. It was first aired on Thursday evening, December 9th, 1965. It was sandwiched right between the Munsters and Gilligan's Island. The first night that it aired, it had a 50% share, which means half of all households in America who were watching TV that night watched this special. That year, it actually won an Emmy Award. If you've never seen this movie, you should really see it. The basic plot is that there's this character, Charlie Brown, and he's getting more and more upset throughout the movie. His sister, Sally, is greedy. His dog, Snoopy, is super preoccupied. His friends are ridiculing him for this pitiful, pathetic little tree. Uh, and while he's trying to direct this Christmas pageant, the other kids are being very uncooperative. And in a moment of desperation and disgust, Charlie Brown kind of throws up his hands in the air and... Well, let's just revisit that scene, shall we? Roll it. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. 51 seconds. Half of this country heard the gospel 
of the good news found in Luke chapter 2, and it has aired every year since. What is Christmas all about? Good news of great joy. Scholars and cultural commentators say the question in apologetics today has shifted in our generation. When that first aired in the 60s, the main question people had was, is Christianity true? That is not the main question on people's minds today. Skeptics and cultural commentators will say the main question people want to ask about our faith is, is Christianity even good? So many people are wondering, is Christianity actually good? Is it good for culture? Is it really good for our society? Is it even good for me as an individual? That's what people are wrestling with in our day. Is the good news really good? You see, in our day, Christmas is two things. On the one hand, it's obviously a Christian holy day. But on the other hand, it's also a major secular holiday. The result are two very different celebrations observed by millions of people both at the same time. It brings with it some discomfort to both sides, doesn't it? On the one side, we have been talking about in this series how the consumerism encroaches onto our spiritual celebration. On the other side, the non-religious people feel like the more traditional meaning of Christmas is intrusive onto their holiday celebrations. Again, they're not sure that Christmas is really good. Regardless of that, though, they're pretty sure that this guy is good, right? Kids, who's this guy? What's, what's his name on the screen? Santa Claus, that's right. And can you tell me, what does Santa Claus do? Anybody tell me, what does he do? Kids, go ahead and shout it out. He gives gifts to everybody. Anybody know where he lives? North Pole. All right, good. Anybody? How does he laugh? What's that laugh that he has? Very good. Smart, smart group. Very much better than the first service. This guy <laughs> is invited into every mall, every parade, and every Christmas concert out there. Whether the audience is Christian or not, they love him. But who exactly is Santa Claus? Where does he come from? Is he just a Madison Avenue creation, the ultimate PR guy for holiday consumerism, or is there, there a more historical significance to this man? Uh, to answer that question, let me just teach you a little Dutch. The name Santa Claus comes from the Netherlands because the Dutch would talk a lot about a guy named Sinterklaas. The word Sinter means saint, and class was shorthand for Nicholas. And so Santa Claus is a direct reference to a guy named Saint Nicholas. But who was Saint Nicholas? Well, Saint Nicholas was a real person who lived about 1,700 years ago, back in the third century. In fact, he looked like this. So actually, when we're talking about Santa Claus, kids, we're actually talking about that guy on the screen. Saint Nicholas was from the city of Myra in what we now know today as Turkey. And later in life, he became a leader called a bishop of Myra. He was a, a Christian pastor known for his radical generosity. As a teenager, he had inherited a large fortune, and, and he got this from his parents, and because of his uh, inheritance, uh, he followed closely the Bible's instruction to love all, especially taking care of the poor. He was determined to give away all of his money in his lifetime. He really lived by that mantra, love all. Uh, let me just tell you one story. Uh, there was a poor farmer in a nearby village with three daughters. Uh, this farmer was so poor, he could not pay for his daughter's dowries to get married. So the girls would need to be sold into slavery, which was only slightly better than starving to death. St. Nicholas heard about their plight, 
And on three consecutive nights, he rode past their farmhouse and threw a bag of money into an open window or perhaps down the chimney. Stories vary about this. And bags of coins, it is said, happened to land in the stockings that the poor family had washed and were hanging out by the fire to dry. Uh, He soon became the the most famous Christian of his time with a global reputation uh, for generosity. And after his death, uh, his legend grew and grew and grew. In other words, he was a rock star Christian. He was kind of like Darren Hernandez, the chair of our elder board over here. (laughs) St. Nicholas was celebrated, feasted, and remembered with great enthusiasm. St. Nick became a household name. Here's the point, and the surprising fact of the matter. Santa Claus, or St. Nicholas, despite being part of the secular celebration, still points us back to Jesus Christ. Santa Claus was not the creation of a toy company. He is a tapestry of history and legend where all the threads can be followed right back to the first century person of Jesus. And so rather than oppose Santa Claus, I think of Santa Claus as like one of God's greatest stealth ambassadors. He's invited to ride in every parade, take pictures in every mall, appear in every Christmas concert, and welcomed into almost every country. And all the while, whether people know it or not, his very presence is a testimony to God's Son, Jesus Christ, who was his inspiration in the first place. If we're ever going to learn to love all, we first need to realize, like St. Nicholas, that God loves all. This is the message of the gospel. Uh, Take a look at this verse from Romans 6, and we're so excited to go through Romans next year. Uh, Here's a summary of the gospel in one verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you like giving at all, you should know that it all started with God. Our God is a giver. Because of his love, God gave us the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, and because of Jesus' love, he gave his life so that we could have eternal life. Have you ever noticed how often uh, Jesus Christ is called in the scriptures a gift? In John chapter 4, he says to the woman at the well, referring to himself, if you only knew the gift of God. Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a son is given. 2 Corinthians 9, says about Jesus, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you've been saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Again and again and again, Jesus Christ is called a gift. That's the good news. But along with the good news, there's kind of some bad news baked inside of there. And this is why the gospel and even Christmas is rejected by so many. Uh, This message is good news, but also at its core, it has a bit of an edge to it. Certain kind of gifts can be really challenging to receive because they make make us swallow our pride. Uh, When my wife leans over and hands me a breath mint or a piece of peppermint gum, I'm like, okay, thanks for the gift, but I think I know what you're implying here by this gift, right? I get this mixture of both gratitude and humility. If you look under the tree this year and unwrap a present and inside of that present is a a book about dieting and weight loss, (laughs) and you say, oh, thanks, you know, this is what I really needed, you're kind of implying that you are overweight. Certain gifts bring a mixture of gratitude and humility. Here's the hard truth about Christmas. There has never been a gift ever given 
that makes me swallow my pride more than the gift of Jesus Christ. Tim Keller says in his excellent book, Hidden Christmas, Christmas is both more wondrous and more threatening than we imagine. See, the gift of Christmas means I am so lost, I am, I am so unable to save myself that nothing less than the gift of God's Son and His death on the cross could save me. Amen. Recently, there was an ad in the New York Times that said, quote, the meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and that we will be able to put together a world of unity and peace. That's not what the Scripture teaches the scriptures do not teach that we have the solution inside of us or the light within us. It teaches that we have this darkness within us and we need a light to come from outside of us. The Bible carries with it no illusions about human potential. Look at this verse again. The wages of sin is death. Whenever you see the word death in the Bible, it means separation. Physical death is a separation of the soul from the body. But this verse is talking about spiritual death, which is a separation of the soul from God. Because of my sin, I am separated from God. Even though God created me, even though God loves me, I've been separated because of my sin. Sin is a word that's not used a whole lot anymore in our culture, but it's a biblical word. And it means we've missed the mark. It, it means we've fallen short. Or kids... The word sin is used to describe the wrong things that we do. It communicates something that nothing else really does. If you really want to understand the word sin, you just have to understand that one little letter in the middle, the letter I. Sin is when I decide to run my life instead of allowing the God of the universe to run my life. The wages of sin is death. That's my paycheck. That's my wages for my sin. See, instead of living how I was created to live, which was designed to be like God and to love all, Oftentimes, I have a track record for doing exactly the opposite. Instead of loving like God loves, instead of loving like St. Nicholas, we love ourselves. We are curved in on ourselves, which leads us to the second movement, the love of self. St. Augustine used to say that's the essence of sin. It's a disordered love deep down inside of the human heart. The things I'm supposed to love, I don't. The things I'm not supposed to love, I I do. That's the problem of sin. Until I admit that, the good news is not very good news. Let me put it this way. The good news is only good news if I admit I'm not so good. And not everyone wants to admit that. It's not a very popular message in our culture today, is it? It implies, first of all, there's some kind of moral standard that's outside of me, and I don't like that. And second of all, it implies that I don't live up to that standard, and I certainly don't like that either. But here's what's so confusing to me about our cultural moment. Even for people who reject this good news, who reject the gospel, here's what we like to do. Uh, we may not want to be held to a moral standard ourselves, but we do like to hold other people to a moral standard. Have you noticed that? Have you ever noticed that liars don't like being lied to? Have you ever noticed that people who steal things don't like to have things stolen from them? Have you ever noticed that cheaters don't like to be cheated on. See, here's what people do. When it comes to this moral standard that's outside of ourselves, we, we grab it when it's convenient for us and we let it go when it's inconvenient for us. That doesn't make any sense. What makes more sense is that there actually is a moral standard outside of us. And the scripture tells us that it's been given by God. We know about it because of our conscience. 
And the hard truth is we don't measure up. See, if Santa Claus is making a list and checking it twice and he's going to find out who's naughty or nice, that is not good news. Uh, you know, lately families have been uh, participating in this new activity called the Elf on the Shelf. Have you heard of this? This elf is on the shelf in your house and mysteriously it keeps moving around to like different rooms in the house and you're supposed to be communicating to your kids that this elf is like watching you in every room and reporting back to Santa what the kids have been doing for the entire month of December. That's not only creepy and disturbing, that is not good news at all. I can't think of a more anti-gospel tradition to have in my house than Elf on the Shelf. The message of Christmas is not good news about human potential. It's the good news of God's grace for those who don't measure up. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, says, all I remember are two things. I have a great need for Christ and a great Christ for my need. That's what Christmas is about. That's the good news in the scriptures. That's the good news that was proclaimed by Linus in the Charlie Brown special from Luke chapter 2. Remember, I bring you good news. Now, what you may not know is that that first show over 50 years ago almost didn't happen. See, some television executives at CBS in Manhattan had serious doubts about allowing this program to air because it included that reading from the Bible. When CBS executives saw the final product, they were mortified. They believed this special would totally bomb. They, they, were, they were sure that the scripture reading would be a turnoff to so many people in our nation. They urged Charles Schultz to take that entire scene out. As you may know, Charles Schultz was a committed Christian. And he also knew that the gospel reading from Luke chapter 2 was the heart and soul of that show. And so he stood his ground. And with, with Schultz not backing down and time running out before a tight deadline, against their better judgment, they allowed the show to air just as he wrote it. The gospel reading lasted 51 seconds, and contrary to what the CBS executives had feared, it was that part of the show that was the highlight of the entire special. It was deeply moving. Uh, critic uh, Harriet Van Horn of the New York World Telegram wrote this, quote, Linus's reading of the story of the nativity was quite simply the dramatic highlight of the season. It was glorious. It was brilliant. It was a transcendent moment of television. We were reminded of the good news. We were reminded of the, the glorious gospel. Uh, this past week, I was reading in my devotional a short lesson from Psalm 23, where Max Lucado said, dare we envision a mobile, active God who chases us, tracks us, following us with goodness and mercy all the days of our lives? Christmas says, yes, we dare. Despite our sin, he chased us and followed us and tracked us down with his good news, which leads us to movement three, the love of the Savior. If we're going to learn to love all, we got to realize that our Savior loves all. Romans 5 is clear. God demonstrated his own love for us. That's the word agape again in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice, Paul does not say, once you get your act together, or after you clean yourself up, 
or when you were finally able to stop giving in to that same stupid temptation, then Christ died for you. No. Paul, who had his own fair share of a jaded past, says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the kind of God the scriptures open up to us. This is the message of Christmas. Christmas tells us we cannot make God love us any more or any less than he already does right now. What will you do with that gift? That's the question I want you to ask yourself. I know some of you have had a bad experience with Christianity, but I want to challenge you. Have you ever considered that your bad experience was not a good representation. Perhaps you didn't really get a picture of the real God. Maybe you just got a caricature. I want you to consider that I'm not talking today about your mom or your dad or some other person in your life that misrepresented God. I'm talking about the living God, Jesus Christ. What will you do with his gift of love, his good news for you? Probably the greatest messenger of this good news in our generation was the late Billy Graham. Now, about a year ago, I was watching his funeral, and I remember all five of their kids got up to say something. And I forget almost everything the kids said. But I will never forget the words of his third daughter, Ruth Graham. Her words were stunning. Ruth, if you know the story, was a little bit more of a wayward one. Allow me to read her words directly. Quote, I have heard in the weeks since my father's death that everybody has a Billy Graham story, but I have my own Billy Graham story. Then she went on to explain how she went through a painful divorce. It was devastating. She floundered. And then against her family's better judgment, she began dating someone right away and things began to move very quickly. And she said, quote, my children didn't like him. But I thought, they're almost grown and they can't tell me what to do. I knew what was best for my life. She said, my mother called me. My father called me. They both said, honey, why don't you slow down? Let us get to know this man. But she said, I, I, I thought, what do they know? So, quote, being stubborn, willful, and sinful, I married this man on New Year's Eve, and within 24 hours, I knew I'd made a terrible mistake. After five weeks, I fled. I was afraid of him. Now what was I going to do? I wanted to go talk to my mother and father, but I felt wrecked. I was coming home with my life in pieces. Questions whirled in my mind. What was I going to say to daddy? What was I going to say to mother? What was I going to say to my children? I'd been such a failure. What were they going to say to me? We're tired of fooling with you. We told you not to do it. You've embarrassed us. Let me tell you, you women will understand, you don't want to embarrass your father. You really don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. Many of you know we live on the side of a mountain, and as I wound myself up the side of that mountain, I rounded the last bend in my father's driveway, and my father was standing there waiting for me. My father who had every reason to rebuke, wrapped his strong arms around me, pulled me into a warm embrace, and greeted me with these simple words, welcome home. 
There was no shame. There was no blame. There was no condemnation. My father's embrace at that moment was one of the most profound gestures of acceptance I've ever experienced. And then she said this, my father was not God. But he showed me what God is like that day. His one act of grace changed my life and informed who I am. And then she goes, and that invitation is open to you. And then she sat down. That's what Christmas is about. Your heavenly father waiting, in a sense, at the top of the driveway for you to come home. And when you do, he pulls you into his warm embrace and greets you with those two words, welcome home. Christmas, if it's about anything, is about God's unconditional love for you. Which brings me to you. What will you do with that love? What will you do with that gift? Kids, you're going to have tons of gifts there on Christmas morning. What will your, be your reaction to those gifts? The, you know, you're going to be excited. You're going to be wondering what's inside of there. You're going to be you know, thinking and curious and happy. But just for a moment, would you think about this question? What will be your reaction to this gift? Has there ever been a moment in your life where you told God you wanted to accept this gift, this gift of his love for you? If you haven't ever done that, I can't think of a better time to do that than on Christmas. Amen. We're going to pray in just a minute. Uh, but maybe you're here today, and maybe that's not really your story, but maybe there's, there's been a time in your life where you've kind of drifted away from God. You were closer to God earlier, but now you just haven't really made him the center of your life. What would it look like for you to re-engage with this gift this year? Maybe it means opening up your Bible, which you haven't opened in a long time. Maybe it means going home and saying, you know what, we're going to get our family back in church this next year. I don't know what your first step is, but would you not miss this opportunity to engage with this gift of this God who loves you? The worship team is going to come now, and they're going to play a song for us about God's love, and I want you to listen so carefully to these lyrics. In fact, I'll just read them for you first. It says, You gave up a throne for a manger, traded a crown for a cross, laid down your life for a stranger, for all who are broken and lost. You went to the darkest of places, walked down the loneliest roads. You looked into lost, empty faces and told us we're never alone. You came down from the heavens so we would know how deep, how high, how long, and how wide, and how far love goes. Amen. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are for this amazing, abundant, exaggerated, just lavish gift of your bountiful love for your people. We remember this on Christmas. We bow our heads, we close our eyes just for a moment with you. If you're here today and if you've never had a moment between you and the Lord where you've asked God to be your Savior, would you make that your moment right now? Would you just say in your own heart, not out loud, Heavenly Father, I place my faith in you. I place my faith in Jesus, your Son. I confess my sin. I thank you that Jesus came on Christmas to save us 
And years later, I thank you that Jesus made a payment on the cross for our sin. Today, I want to make him my Lord and my Savior. For all of us here today, we've gathered to remember the essence of this season, to say thank you for this gift of love. Would you now, God, listen to our voices as we praise you and sing and glorify your name and sing of your amazing love now in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand?